hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Find yourself chasing the dopamine rush of buying the next new thing only to have to buy the next new thing shortly thereafter? If this is you, it's not your fault and there's a way to break the cycle. As we're in the heart of the spending binge season, this is the perfect time to have this discussion and avoid the spending binge hangover. You're listening to Queer Money episode 456 and today we're sharing our new strategy for getting truly happy with your finances. Now on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. David? Yeah? Why are you dressed up? (laughs) Because I just came from a job interview. Why are you getting a job? I thought our finances were good and we were financially independent. Well, true. We have reached Coast Fire where we don't have to contribute to our retirement accounts anymore, but we still have to come up with income every single month to pay our bills, to our living expenses, and to reach our financial goals since all of our wealth is tied up in our retirement accounts. So have our financial goals changed? Well, yes, they kind of have, but we still also need regular income. So I'm looking for work to help us cover our living expenses and to work more on our Wealth Builders Pyramid. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about today, the Wealth Builders Pyramid. This is the strategy that uh, we came up with to help more people, including ourselves, reach financial independence and have not have to deal with the fluctuations in the economy. Something that we're dealing with right now ourselves due to inflation and this obsession with recession that is inevitably <laughs> going to come that everybody can't stop talking about. I almost feel like corporations want to force a recession so they can justify laying more people off. Our month-to-month income from our businesses is, has been struggling. And so we've got our real estate that we're working on. We've got our stock investments that are doing great, despite some of the recent hiccups in the in the market. And we now need to work on our small business and W-2 incomes so we can cover some of those uh, living expenses that we're struggling with right now. Right. So the Wealth Builders Pyramid, you may be asking yourself, what really is this? This is a, a strategy and a calculation that we have come up with that will allow us to get to the point where we hopefully will never need to have a W-2 again although I'm going back to get one right now. But the whole purpose of this is to set up a structure so that our income from multiple sources will cover our living expenses for the rest of our lives, not just relying on stock market or investing income. So what is this calculation? Well, it really breaks down into three pieces. One, we are going to continue with our stock market investing or, or keeping that por- portfolio. And the goal is to have 50% of our living expenses to be able to come from that stock portfolio, especially when we get into retirement. Ideally from the interest. Yeah. The second piece is real estate investing. We hope to, at some point, have enough income from the real estate that we own, be able to pay for 50% of our living expenses. And then our small business. 
this podcast, our coaching, the work that we do with folks in the queer community to help folks get better with their finances is our small business. And that also we hope to someday have being able to cover 50% of our living expenses. And it was doing pretty decent there for a couple of years. But like I said, the economy and the uh, obsession recession has kind of uh, put a damper on that. Right. So you may be asking yourself, well, 50% plus 50% plus 50%, that's more than 100%, David. Why do you need more than 100%? Because we're ballers. (laughs) Right. No, that's because as we are seeing right now, there are times when one portion of your portfolio, the stock market, your small business, or your real estate may not be performing at the level in which it needs to to cover your living expenses. So if we relied solely on the stock market, we may have years when we don't have or aren't able to cover our living expenses. If we relied solely on real estate investing, we may have time periods when we don't have individuals renting the real estate that we own, or maybe we are not able to raise the rent on places, but our cost of living has gone up. So we want to make sure that we have more than 100% so that when we do have years when things are down, we still hopefully have these three pieces making up 100%. And what this will do is it'll allow us for years in which it is above 100% to be able to set money aside for years when it's not above 100%. Exactly. So if uh, this sounds a little bit complicated, we encourage you, if you're not already uh, listening slash watching this on YouTube, to go over to YouTube. We've got some charts and pretty charts and pictures and graphs to show that might break this down a little bit easier. And basically what we're trying to achieve here and what we've been trying to get more in the LGBTQ plus community to achieve is uh, what we call the four financial freedoms. That is uh, financial time, relationship, and geographic. So financial is obviously to be able to live the type of life you want without financial constraints. Relationship is to be able to spend your most precious resource with your most precious gifts, right? Your most precious resource is time because that's finite. Your most precious gifts are your loved ones, your family members your puppies. (laughs) And geographic freedom, as we talked about before, being geo-liberated to a degree we've achieved that, though we've settled down a little bit for the time being. But that's the idea of being able to live and work from anywhere in the world that we'd like. And we've benefited from that greatly in the past, and we will certainly do that again. And then most importantly, it's time freedom, because that is the most finite resource. That is to have the autonomy over your most precious resource. The biggest predictor, study after study after study, of what provides the most happiness to people is the feeling of having the autonomy over their time. They may not actually have time. If you look at their schedule, they might actually be very restricted and and, and regimented. But if they feel like they have autonomy over their time, those people tend to be happier. So that's why we refer to these as the the four financial freedoms. And again, we have a very pretty picture on YouTube if you want to watch it there. I think one of the mistakes that a lot of people make, John, is this idea that in order to have financial freedom, you need to have massive amounts of money. But what we're really pointing out here is that you have enough money to be able to live the life that you need to and want to live without financial constraints. Most people do not aspire to live every day of life as a as a baller, like you said earlier, <laughs> as a high roller, right? We want to enjoy our lives and we want to be free from 
the constraints or the struggles when it comes to our finances. And I think that's one of the important things when, when we look at these freedoms is that we need to look at them realistically, not through the Instagram, TikTok, my life is amazing and better than yours filter that so many of us have become accustomed to using as the way to judge whether or not we have a good life. Yeah, basically the wealth builders pyramid is really designed in such a way so that you can generate enough investment income to cover your living expenses. That's how Robert Kiyosaki defines true wealth, that your investment income cover your living expenses. So you don't actually have to uh, trade time for dollars. And that's really what the Wealth Builders Pyramid allows people to do. And there's two ways to sort of manage that. You can manage your income and you can manage your living expenses. And very often in the personal finance space, we're sort of obsessed with cutting your living expenses. And there was the movement a couple of years ago about uh, being super minimalist. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that, but you also sort of want to have a good quality of life. And I think very often in our society today is we always think, seems to be that we think that the only way to grow our income truly is to get a W-2, get a better W-2, get a higher salary with a W-2. And there's multiple ways that you can actually do that. And there's nothing wrong with having a W-2. And as, you know, we're definitely pursuing that ourselves. But you don't want to be so reliant on your W-2 that it's your only source of potential financial freedom because it just makes it a little bit harder. So if you can manage your expenses in such a degree while you're working at a W-2 so that you can still put money into the stock market, ideally put money into a small business of yours that you're creating, as well as uh, put money into real estate that will all eventually generate income for you. You can reduce your reliance on that employer and you're not beholden to one person or one company or one industry on your financial success. Right. Yeah. So how do we get here? What what kind of behavioral changes do we need to think about and making? Well, this is really sort of this, this psychology of money. So much of money is not spreadsheets and numbers, right? Right. Uh, you know, so much of money is- It's the is feels. Up up here in our head. Yeah. It, and and, and some, sometimes it's uh, that can be a challenging thing, but when you understand that, it can actually make things a little bit easier. And you know, we said in the intro that people who find themselves buying the next new thing only to find themselves buying the next new thing. That's not necessarily their fault. You know, we've created this consumer society and marketing, as we talked about before, is as much science as it is an art these days, right? Especially with social media and then being able to use algorithms and to track how long you look at a particular video or a picture or exactly where your eyes fall on a screen when you're looking at something. All of that is turning the bots against you and making you feel like the more that you buy, the happier you're going to be. And that's called, but all that really does though, is eventually, no matter what you buy, you eventually go back down to your, what homeostasis. And what that what that is referred to is a psycho- psychological term called hedonic adaptation, that even when people buy houses and cars, within a few short months, they're not necessarily any happier than they were before they bought that house or car. And you would think a grand purchase like one of those things would help elevate people's mood for a much longer period of time. But it's only a few months. So when you think about that, why are so many people putting themselves into financial constraints to buy these gigantic, beautiful, very expensive houses so that they're house poor only to realize in six months to a year that I'm not any happier than when I was living in in that 1,000 square foot condo. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ plus community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. 
Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. We just watched the show called Painkillers on Netflix about the Sacklers and Purdue Pharma and how they basically got people hooked on painkillers. And it was it, it was interesting how they talked about when they first came out with Oxycontin and it was a 10 milligram pill. And then they had a 20 milligram pill and then they had a 40 milligram pill and then they had an 80 milligram pill and then they had a 160 milligram pill coffin cotton yeah uh what do they call them coffin cotton cotton coffins i was wondering anyway coffin was in the coffin right. was in the name but what's interesting is is we oftentimes understand this concept of chasing the dragon or trying to get the next high when we look at it from a perspective of drug use. And it's really easy to see there 10, 20, 40, 80, 160. And they basically were doubling the, the amount of opium in those pills. But the same thing can happen to us with this hedonic adaptation when we buy stuff, right? As we're young, we're used to and we get kind of get trained into this idea that, you know, I'm going to date myself here, that buying a 25 cent candy bar or a 50 cent candy bar is satiating, right? But then I get a little bit older and now I need something a little bit bigger. I need the pack of stickers. And then I get a little bit older and I need the pair of jeans. Then I get a little bit older and I need the I need the Walkman or the Discman. I need the <laughs> the net, you know, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. And we kind of get trained in this whole idea of running on this hedonic treadmill as a part of our lives. And it's really easy to get stuck on that treadmill. And I think it's what people call the rat race, right? Mm -hmm. The rat race is actually chasing after something that you know that you will never ever get to, but you continue to chase in the hopes and the dreams that you'll get there because we're chasing what we think is happiness. Well, and it's like uh, Elaine DeButton says, I'm going to, you have to help me say this accurately, but he says the quickest way to not want something anymore is to buy it. Buy it. Right. right. The minute you buy something, all of a sudden you don't necessarily want it anymore. It goes away. That urge. Now, granted, you know, when we get our new iPhones, we're like, oh, it's so sleek and sexy. But in a couple of weeks, it's not special anymore. We get our new laptops, we get our new TV. It's sleek and, and fancy and we love it and it works faster and it's a little bit better. But then it's after a couple of months, it's just, yeah, okay. Next thing. And this is marketing knows this. Marketers know this, and they're and they're and they're using it in our favor. So the minute we can break this cycle, the better. And we're going to talk about exactly how to do that. The other challenge that we have to overcome, and you alluded to it earlier, is the comparison game. We're constantly, especially yeah. today with Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and it's almost becoming cliche to talk about it, but it's talking about it hasn't really actually changed behaviors too right. much because people are still comparing themselves to it used to be, you know, referring to the Joneses or the people next door. Well, now it's like almost anybody you've ever met in your entire life, you're following on Instagram and or Facebook. And all they ever do is curate the best moments of their lives. And we're constantly thinking, well, geez, they're doing better than me. I, I need to buy that too. Or I should go on that vacation too. Or how did they get so lucky? Why, did, why does my life suck? And that is another trigger for many of us going on a spending binge, if not some other kind of a binge. Right. Yeah. So how do we get off the treadmill or how do we slow it down so that we actually can experience happiness? I think that's the thing is that many of us see glimpses or moments of happiness, 
when we buy that thing or when we're at brunch or when we take the trip or, but they fade away. How do we get it to be a little bit more regular and slow it down so we actually truly experience the happen? Because I, you know, there's this big push in the world today that you don't need the things, you need the experiences. But I have myself and I've talked with others who thought that was the the that spending money on the experiences versus the stuff was going to make them happier but the experiences are sometimes just as fleeting after the experience is over yeah yeah i i i'm a big believer that experiences tend to provide more happiness than stuff things but i'm not naive enough to think that things don't necessarily make you happy sometimes. Right. You know, especially things that have sentimental value, right? But when you have a new slick iPhone and you're flipping through everything, it looks crystal and, and and smooth and fancy. The picture's amazing and it takes amazing pictures. That's definitely enjoyment for sure. But I think people need to start doing is focusing on what truly makes people happy. And as unique as we like to think that we all are, basically we all have the same things that make us happy. We mentioned earlier that having the the feeling of autonomy over time is one of the biggest ways to achieve happiness. And that's sort of what the Wealth Builders Pyramid will allow people to do is once you are able to construct that, you have more and more autonomy over your time. Like we said, at some point, you won't need to work at a W-2. You might want to, and then if you want to, that's totally fine. But not needing to have to work at a W-2 is very liberating. And so what we've found has worked is for people to focus more on what actually makes people truly happy. And if you haven't followed or listened to or, or watched Dr. Laura Santos from Yale University, she has constructed this happiness program at Yale and has evolved into a podcast and she's all over the place. I would highly encourage lots of people check out her work. It, it is is brilliant and you'll be surprised at what truly makes people happy. Now, she even says that even though she knows the science behind it, she's still a human being and she finds herself not happy sometimes and it also goes into depression, right? So there's no way to sort of avoid this altogether. But uh, we've talked about in the past our spending analysis. In fact, we had a episode a couple of years ago where we talked about how folks can create their own spending analysis. And the spending analysis is itemizing your expenses just so you can get crystal clear on where all of your money is going. And this was one of the first steps that you did right. when we realized how much credit card debt was. We had David went and was like, okay, well, how do we have so much debt? We're making okay money, but we have all this debt. What the hell's going on? And so he itemized all of our expenses for the past year, every single expense. And it was quite eye-opening, almost jarring to see where our money was going and what we were sacrificing for these fleeting moments of happiness, the things that we were purchasing or, or the experiences that weren't necessarily as special as we felt that they were at the, the particular moment. Right. So we talked about the value of that. After a couple of interviews we've had the last couple of years, one with Dr. with uh, Gene Chatsky, as well as one with Tori Dunlap, we decided to add an extra variable to our spending analysis. And that's what we call the return on happiness estimator. And we've defined return on happiness as the measure of one's quality of life affected by autonomy over time, relationships, environment, and finances. And so when you're trying to figure out what your return on happiness is, the question is, is to do that spending analysis. Ask yourself after you've figured out how much money you've been putting into these different expenses year after year, ask yourself in hindsight, how do those purchases make you feel? And then if your spending makes you truly happy, then you have to ask yourself, why do we find ourselves continuing to spend? 
Right. Yeah. So one of the things that we did was we kind of wanted to put this on a Likert scale. Likert scale means that there, it's an odd number and typically you have something where you can land in the middle. But if you're looking at your spending, we suggest that you look at it and say, give it a value of one to five, five being the happiness one being the least happy. I mean, we we all know that there are times when we're spending money and it doesn't bring us any happiness. And there are times when we're spending money and it definitely brings us happiness. So try to figure out for each of those spending categories, which makes you truly happy. And here's an example. You may be spending $250 a month on medical and that medical includes therapy. I value this highly. So I would give that spending a five because therapy for me is really important to not only my mental health, but also helps me with my physical and financial health. It gets me in a place where I feel good, better about myself and I don't necessarily need to spend more money. But I'm also spending $650 a month on dining out. And I know that for the most part, this is because it's a convenience. I use Grubhub or I stop uh, on the way home and pick up fast food instead of making the food that I already shop for that's sitting in the fridge at home. And the reality is that spend of $650 might be causing me more financial stress. So I might give this a two. So really what the idea here is, is to go through and look at these various spending categories, rank them, and then determine, look at that and say, is that accurate? Right? Is this accurate when I look across? If I'm seeing that most of the categories that I'm ranking are a three or higher, then I should be saying, yes, my spending is making me happy. But if I'm not, if I rank everything and I see that I'm giving things a three or on average a three or higher, but I'm still not happy, then maybe those numbers aren't actually accurate. Yeah, I think you know this. This is what was what quite jarring for us was that when we did our spending analysis, or you did our spending analysis, we realized that we were spending eight hundred dollars a month on groceries as well as eight hundred dollars a month dining out, and then we asked ourselves, well, did we really enjoy dining out? that much that we doubled our food expenses? And actually, the numbers were $400 a week on groceries oh, and sorry. $400 a week on dining out. And this was back in 2005, folks. Right. So imagine the amount of money that would be today based on inflation. We're, oh, we're probably talking about $800, probably doubled a $800 a week on dining. I mean, that's that's it is crazy. But when you think about it, happy hours, brunches, convenience foods, going out for lunch during the, the week for work. I don't understand how we were spending that much money, but that's what the number well, showed. Well, credit card. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I think what, but basically what this exercise asks you to do is, is exactly what we talked about in the, uh, the intro, is if you find yourself always going after spending and buying, buying the next new thing, whatever that new thing is, how often are you going to do that until you reach the point of happiness? Where is contentment in all of these buying that we're doing? And I think that's sort of what the minimalist movement was trying to sort of address is how much clothing do you need? How many shoes do you need? Um, how expensive or big does your car or your house have to be? How much stuff do you have to have in your car or in your house until you're actually going to be happy? You know, it's like Elaine DeButton says, is, 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 we're making ourselves sick 
by consuming. And that, and that's us as individuals. And that's also the environment that we're making sick, right? Because a lot of the stuff is will never be uh, recycled and will never decay until the world burns up. People are working in sweatshops, literally, in many instances, to make these things that we keep buying and that aren't actually providing us true happiness. And so not only is that making us miserable, but in the process, other people are making becoming miserable to trying to make these things so that we can become miserable and in debt. Yeah. And who is it helping? Right. And I think one of the important things here is to be honest, when when we're looking at our assessment of whether or not this spending category actually makes me happy, and we are honest, then we can say, okay, the ones and the twos, and maybe even some of the threes, how do I minimize or reduce those so that I can spend more money on the threes, fours, and fives, or the especially the fours and fives, right? How do I spend more money on the things that are actually truly feeding my soul, making me happy? How do I put more money to those things than the things that are fleeting, I, I, I'm just going to say that most of the time when we spend on things that don't make us happy, the reason why it's not making us happy is because that's fleeting. It's, yeah, it's a quick dopamine rush and then it dissipates and we return, you know, hedonic adaptation, we go back to homeostasis. And I think it's important here to mention, nobody else can measure the return that you're getting on these expenses other right. than yourself. Right. Right. If if getting your nails done or even in fact, let's use the, if getting that latte truly makes you happy. By all means, get the latte, but you have to ask yourself, is everything making you proportionally happy? And if everything isn't providing you the same level of happiness, stop doing the things that don't make you happy. This is going to jolt some people. If you don't actually feel good donating to a certain charity, stop donating to char that charity. Right. Find another charity. Don't donate to charity. Give your Use your money some other way to, to, to serve the world. If the hot latte makes you happy, get the latte. Don't I think we're all we sort of feel like we have to live up to these expectations, as we've talked about. Many in our community are trying to don't want to be excluded, uh, so we do whatever we can to always be attractive to people and in multiple different ways, not just looking beautiful, but having the right stuff and 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 having the right career and having the right living in the right neighborhood. You know, it's it's we're all sort of constantly, as Mike Imelli has talked with us before in the past. We're all sort of like looking at everybody, you know, a whole bunch of gay men go into a room together and all of a sudden everybody's sizing, everyone sizing up. everybody up and like, where do I fall in this hierarchy and who, and do, who do I need to man, put get, down so get I your, can get your, climb the ladder? Get your mind out of the gutter when I said sizing everyone <laughs> up. Yeah, it's not a sexual thing. It's just okay, who looks better, who has the better career, who's who's surrounded by the most people, who's got the, the fanciest, most expensive stuff. You know, we're all sort of doing that, trying to figure out where, where we Packing fit in. Order. Exactly. And then we have to figure out who do we got to chop down so that we can climb up that pecking order and, and climb up the ladder. Yeah. It's unfortunate that we do use shame. And this is actually a topic that we're going to invite Mike on the show to talk about. But it really what this gets down to is you've heard the terms return on investment. And really the idea there is you put out the investment and you want something back from it. And the same goes here for our return on happiness. We when we spend, when we use our time, when we use our freedoms, whether that's our time freedom, our relationship freedom, our location freedom, our money freedom, when we use those, we are exchanging the happiness 
or whatever it is that we're exchanging it for, right? If we had more time, if we had more money, if we had better relationships with our friends and family, if we had that better financial freedom, we would be happier, right? So you're basically trading your happiness for the things that you're spending your time and money and energy on. Are you getting the return? Are you getting an appropriate return on the happiness that you're spending? Are you getting the equal happiness back from that spend? Yeah, you, you mentioned the Sackler movie we just watched. What was that called? Painkillers. Painkillers, yeah. Um, I don't know how true this is. It was ba- the, the movie was based on a, a book, and I'm assuming that the author did their homework. But it, it seems like from the movie anyway that a lot of the Sacklers don't have great relationships anymore and that they're not as close as they, they, they once were. Not that they were ever really that close, apparently. But things sort of seem like they've devolved even more in their pursuit of making billions and billions of dollars. So now Richard Sackler has all this money, but he's been divorced. He's estranged from his family. And I don't know to to what extent he has relationships with anybody else. So you have to ask is, was the pursuit of those billions of dollars worth it? If nobody in your life can stand you. Right. Exactly. (laughs) Right. And so I think this is, you know, as we're in the holiday season, this is a great time. Don't like try to change your behavior today in the middle of the holiday season. Don't, that's just too stressful, but just start to pay attention. Like as you're buying things to decorate your house or to give to people, or as you receive gifts, just really start to gauge like how happy are these moments making you and how long does that happiness last? And then start to think what, what would you exchange this for that could get you a better return? And that's all we're sort of asking folks to do, right? Right. So we tried to launch the Wealth Builders Pyramid uh, in October, and it, it produced unsustainable results, we'll call it. And we think this is a very helpful strategy for folks, and we've got a lot of tools and resources um, that we think could help people, but people just weren't interested. But we wanted to share this information anyway, because it's a great way to lay a solid foundation, reduce stress, and live a better quality of life. And that's sort of the whole point of this podcast. So if this is of interest to you. If any part of this is intriguing, tag us on social media. We're on TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, not on Facebook anymore, kind of really. Or email us at questions at com to let us know if you're interested in learning more about these theories and how they might be able to help you build your wealth pyramid. And then if we get enough interest, we might figure out what to do after that. If there's no interest, you know, there's nothing for us to do. But that's uh, we want to put that out there that we're, we're happy to provide more tools and resources if folks are so inclined to receive them. Thank you and stay tuned for your Queer Money Takeaway. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you for joining us for another episode. Subscribe to the Queer Money newsletter in your podcast player or in the description of this YouTube video below to get this week's Queer Money takeaway and for your tip on how to reach financial independence faster. Then join us this Thursday when we share the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city to live in in Indiana. And next Tuesday when we share a special treat that'll put you in a jolly holiday mood without making your wallet mad at you. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking Queer Money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.